to go ho, ho, ho. <clears throat> I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA, and we're going to be talking about marketing today. Marketing. Not so much mail. A little bit of mail. But we're going to go with Tom Fishburne's cartoon today. And uh, it's called Permission Marketing. And he says, he's got a, uh, it looks like a banker or somebody like that, or people there, and here's the customer. Once everything is signed and notarized, just wait four to six weeks and we'll opt you out of some of our marketing emails, okay? And the idea is, is that, is that we trick people into getting our advertising and that somehow is evil. <clears throat> We're nearing the 25th anniversary of Seth Godin's Permission Marketing, published early 1999. Permission Marketing set the stage for modern marketing. And I'm going to talk about the damage it's done. Tremendous, tremendous damage. So I'm going to part ways with Tom Fishburne. Rarely do that. Many of the marketing tools, channels, and technology have changed or evolved, but the idea of permission marketing is as relevant as ever. Even in the arms race for attention, uh, even as the arms race for attention has accelerated most recently with generative AI, the, so has the ability of audiences to tune out whatever marketers want to say to them. Okay, got that? Got that? We've been promised that we're, we're going to be able to get attention. We've been promised since the 80s that we're going to get our ads in front of the people who are really longing for our ads. Longing, I tell you. <laughs> right. Is that ever true? I don't, I don't really think it is. Um, but the ability of our audiences to tune us out has been phenomenal. Okay, so um, here's how Seth explained permission marketing. Permission marketing is the privilege, not the right, of delivering, delivering anticipated personal and relevant messages to people who actually want to get them. You know, I just don't see it. I don't see that that, maybe it's mar precision, permission marketing, but it just doesn't exist. It recognizes the new power of the best consumers, the best consumers, to ignore marketing. It realizes that treating people with respect is the best way to earn their attention. Uh, again, it doesn't exist. It's a myth. It's another one of the myths, the, the myths of marketing. How can you treat people with respect if they don't know about you? They don't even know. How? How can you? I respect your right to privacy, so I'm not going to advertise at all. <laughs> you better have a blazing public relations firm, right? Because somehow, if you've got a new product or a new service, you've got to get in people's ear. You've got to make that known before you can even respect people. Now, presumably you'll do it in a way that isn't too annoying, right? But you got to cut through or you don't get anything. And that's probably this show. I've been very respectful. <laughs> Haven't advertised. It's sort of a labor of love. But because no one sees it, then it doesn't matter what I say. None of it matters if you don't get seen or, or heard or touched or felt or something. Pay attention is a key phrase here because permission marketers understand that when someone chooses to pay attention, 
they are actually paying you with something precious. Attention becomes an important asset to be valued, not wasted. Okay, so let's go on. Real permission is different from presumed or legalistic permission. Just because you somehow get my email address doesn't mean you have permission. You know, I tried to buy from J. Crew last night and uh, for my son-in-law, and they popped up a pop-up, you know, intrusive. Heaven help us, how can I deal with that? Mercy. And the problem is I couldn't get to it. I couldn't figure out what it was for. I logged in like several times with several um, private browsers just so I could get the get the offer to pop, pop up enough to, to read it. It just kept going away. And it was something about 15% off. I was interested in 15% because what my son-in-law wanted was over the limit that we set for our gifts. And I wouldn't want to give him special treatment. Um, so finally, I tagged this thing somehow, and it said that I could get 15% off if I filled this in. I put in my name, or I put in an email address, marked something or other, and I, uh, and I, you know, clicked OK, and then it asked me for my phone number. Well, I didn't feel like giving my phone number, but I thought, well, I'd given him the email address. That ought to be enough. Was it? Not as far as I can tell. I don't think they sent me an email. Let me check just for fun here. You won't necessarily see this, but I can see it. Let's see. I don't see anything from J. Crew. Nada. Nothing. Right? I see Tom Fishburne. I see a lot of stuff, but I don't see J. Crew. Okay. All the way till yesterday. Let's look. Nope. Nothing. I gave you permission, but you didn't write to me. How bizarre is that, right? How bizarre is that? That's just bizarre. Anyway, so real permission works like this. If you stop showing up, people complain. They ask where you went. I mean, that is such a rare thing in advertising. And if you haven't been intrusive, you will never get to that point. How will you? How will you ever get there? You can't. You know, you, you talk to your friends and family, they're annoyed with you when you start a business, and then you have to go talk to people. You have to go you have to go find new people. You have to generate leads. You have to tell somebody, okay? And, and, and I, it, this is more nefarious than that. You know, Karl Marx was, if you, for those of you who haven't read Das Kapital, which you should, just to find out how idiotic it is, he basically attacks two things. One is design, uh, because you know that some products work and some products who look exactly the same don't work, right? I remember my sister going to the Soviet Union, and I think in about the 80s, early 80s, I think, yeah, it was before she was married. And she said you'd go into this, and the Olympics were coming up or something, and, and uh, you'd go into that. She was staying in a very nice hotel because, I mean, as nice as they got in Moscow because they were on some student trip or something. And she said that there was a bowling alley, didn't work. It looked like it worked, but it didn't, you know, they advertised that it, it was a, there was a bar and all the liquor bottles were, were full, but you could only get vodka. She said it was all a sham. She said she actually was, was um, sneaking in Bibles and, and uh, blue jeans 
uh, for Christians who were embattled in the Soviet Union in those days. And she could go into the foreign shops. There were shops that only foreigners could go into. And, and she said, what would you like me to get? And they said, cassette tapes. And she said, you don't have cassette tapes? They said, well, yeah, we have them, but they don't work. They don't have enough iron on them to actually record anything. Right? That's where Karl Marx was headed. He didn't want to pay for design. He didn't want to pay for testing. He didn't want to pay for anything but the raw materials. And my brother, who lived in the Soviet Union for, or, in, or in Russia for, for about 15 years, he said, you know, there were piles of raw materials outside of factories because they were rewarded and compensated by how, many, how much raw material they used. And if they didn't make anything or what they made didn't work. It's an insane system. And one of his big things he didn't like was advertising. He felt like 30% of the cost of every product or something. And it's, you know, it might be 20, might be 10, might be something. But it's certainly something was markup and distribution and advertising. And so he was, he was, he didn't think advertising should be counted. Basically, raw materials and labor were all that should really count in the price of an item. And, you know, if you ever tried to market something, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. You know, I mean, probably close to half the product price is marketing and distribution because you got to get it on the shelves. You got to get it in, you know, somebody's got to notice it. Okay. And so if you're waiting for people to give you permission to market, you're going to wait a long time. I, I worked with a company um, and they, they, represented a lot of big companies and they they did imprinted merchandise for caterpillar and for and for uh, a bunch of big companies but what they learned was and this was just before covid what they learned was they went to the caterpillar dealers they paid their salespeople to actually go call on them and they said do you ever buy hats that don't just say caterpillar oh yeah we all we're buying it all the time and they they so just asking them, would you like to buy from us? Well, of course, we like you. Well, did you know we could custom imprint? No, we didn't know that. Okay, so the the, the average sales call, I think, yielded $1,500 worth of on-the-spot purchases and continuing with that because these were big companies. These are, you know, the average Caterpillar dealer is like a $100 million business or something, maybe bigger than that. And <clears throat> so they were ordering that stuff all the time, but they didn't know that this company who had the had the standard stuff on in stock could also do custom. So we knew there was a market there, and they had something like 150,000 customers that had bought their standard stuff through other, like steel chainsaws. They did, and they did a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> and a lot of that they they did the Harley Owners Group, but a lot of those Harley dealers were also business owners, right? I mean, all those Harley riders have businesses, <clears throat> and so we thought, well, let's Let's start with that. Let's mail to our current customers. Well, the IT director said, but they didn't buy imprinted merch. They didn't buy custom merchandise. They only bought the standard merchandise. You don't have permission to do that. It's like, no, but they might like us. They might want to know that we could do that, that we have this capability. Well, she, she was so upset, she quit. <laughs> she resigned. She said, that, that isn't permission mar marketing. You don't have their permission to, to, to give them this message, even though you're their customers. Now, there's no privacy legislation on earth, even in GDPR and 
CCPA that says you can't market to existing customers and you can't market a new a new concept <clears throat> to existing customers, especially because how would any innovation ever happen, which is what was happened in the Soviet Union. No innovation. They couldn't because they couldn't tell anybody about it. OK, so. This person resigned and 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 the art department was just as belligerent. They basically put no energy into this effort. It failed miserably. They also didn't hire me uh, for enough time to keep an eye on the art department. Did an ugly catalog based on web design, not based on direct marketing principles. And that is how it works. That's how it's working today, where increasingly the new generation of marketers are embarrassed by their marketing. And they really don't want to do it. Um, and yes, it's hard to unsubscribe. And there's another issue. Let's go over. I, I could go through. These are great. You know, go on WDMA and and download this this article because it's really fun. There's a lot of fun uh, fun cartoons here from Tom. <coughs> Phone with a boxing glove. Annoying ads. All this stuff is fun, right? Santa sees you when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake, right? Then I got into the, and then I was looking for, you know, counterpoints to permission marketing. I couldn't find any. You know, you want to, don't want to argue with Seth Godin, for heaven's sakes, who would? Um, but permission marketing in an anti-marketing world, and that's what I liked about it. It, it admitted Patrick Schober, who's a copywriter, it seems. I don't know. He isn't a direct marketing copywriter. I can say that because he just doesn't get to the point but he signed up for a with a local energy company that promised they could provide all the energy through renewable resources and that and that our energy they would cut our energy expenses at the same time okay and uh, then the price increased and they promised we wouldn't have to pay more well, more than what you know maybe it's the winter maybe it's the summer and your air conditioning cut in I don't know uh, no context there but then they then after they canceled their their energy agreement, they started receiving marketing materials as if we'd never done business with them in the past. And that's one of the problems with these kids who don't understand the way it needs to work. And that, and so they got, they got mailed a second notice and it actually looked like a bill for heaven's sakes, for heaven's sakes, Patrick, how could you be so naive as to be fooled by this direct mail piece? And then they got one the next week or every week and another one and another one. And finally he called and he said uh, that he'd like to be formally removed from all correspondence. I tried that with my payroll company and they won't, they keep billing me. And anyway, could take up to four weeks. And the problem is, here's the problem. The problem is, is that if they delete you, then they're then you're coming off a rented list. And this is the problem with CCPA, is that they require people, if you're requested, you're supposed to remove them. When we were working with Hamaker Schlemmer, they had a clause in my contract that I had to follow CCPA for them. I said, I'm not following it. If, if someone tells me not to mail them anymore, the only way to fulfill that request is to keep them on file. No matter what CCPA says. Right. Because unless you keep them on file, you can't suppress them. And so if you rent them again by accident like this, may be what's happening. Right. It's a Pittsburgh. It's around Pittsburgh. He's in Pittsburgh. So I don't know. Maybe there's an energy company in Pittsburgh and they just keep renting homeowners. OK. 
unless they keep his this fellow's name, Patrick's name, they're not going to be able to suppress him. And so and so he called more irately, right? And he said we should we should do permission marketing. You have to identify individuals on a regular basis who actually want to see your stuff. How would you do that? How do you do that if you don't get in touch with them? It doesn't make any sense. So he says, Morning Brew is his example. I looked it up. It's a free newsletter. They're not selling. They're an entertainment venue. You know, maybe they get attention. I didn't look at the email. Maybe they have ads. Somehow they have to make money. They promise unlimited vacation to their employees. <laughs> they promise DEA. Okay, that's right. Okay, so so uh, treat your audience like people. Okay, so I started thinking about this. And you, I hope you enjoy this, but before we get there, we're having a party. It's on WDMA.org. You can register. It's on LinkedIn and a couple of spots in the WDMA group. But I just wanted to switch over to this because it tells you about advertising in its golden age, perhaps. Okay, and here it comes. Taste. Real gusto in the great light beer. If you like it light with a big taste too, there's only one brew that will do when you're out of Schlitz. Unthinkable. You're out of beer. Real gusto in the great light beer Schlitz. The beer that made Milwaukee famous. Okay, now that is advertising. <laughs> Why do I say it? Because in my head, you know, I was, I was 12 years old when that ran. Okay, 12 years old. How do I know that song? Because they didn't ask my permission. It ran on the Packer games. And it ran on the Badger games that we listened to every Saturday afternoon on WTMJ. Okay, I know about Cross Your Heart Bras. I know about I'd Walk a Mile for a Camel. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh gosh, all the cigarette commercials are coming into my head. I never smoked cigarettes. I don't think I've ever bought a cigarette. Um, I tried one once, I think. But the point is... What's the point here? The point is, is that those invaded my brain, right? They invaded my brain without my permission and in a, in a, in a somewhat entertaining way. And that's about the best you can do. But if you really want to do it right, do it with direct mail because then you get engagement, right? Now, I would not complain to Ryan Reynolds if he doesn't send me any more Goofy Mint Mobile Christmas cards of himself in bed, but I do enjoy getting them, okay? I do enjoy hearing from Ryan Reynolds, my buddy, and there's other things that can happen too, but ultimately you have to be invasive, and direct mail is one of the most invasive. It gets engagement whether anybody likes it or not, because they have to touch it, they have to feel it, they have to make a decision, they have to throw it away, because direct mail doesn't throw it away itself. Think about that next time you're trying to decide on what advertising medium is acceptable. And one of the great things about mail is the Supreme Court's already ruled that there's 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 insufficient distance from the mailbox to the trash can to consider it an invasion of privacy. We already have that ruling. Have a great day. Merry Christmas. Go over and register. Come talk marketing with the Jingle Mingle staff. Bye bye. <laughs>